Well, there's a light in the window. The table's spread in splendor. Someone's standing by the open door. I can see the crystal river. I must be near forever. Lord, I've never been this home sick before. I see the bright light shine. It's just about home time. I can see my father standing at the door. This world has been a wilderness. I'm ready for the And I've never been this homesick before. I can see the family gather, sweet faces all familiar. No one's old and feeble anymore. Oh, my lonesome heart is crying. Think I'll spread my wings for flying. Lord, I've never been this home sick before. I see the bright light shine. It's just about home time. I can see the Father standing by the door. This world has been a I'm ready for deliverance. Lord, I've never been this homesick before. What a day that will be. Each saint in victory. Walking through those gates forevermore. As we greet one another. Every sister, every brother, Lord, I've never been this home sick before. Let's sing it. I see the bright light shine. It's just about home time. I can see my father standing by the door. This world has been a wilderness. And I'm ready for deliverance. Lord, I've never been this home. I see the bright light shine. It's just about home time. I can see the Father standing by the door. This world has been a And I'm ready for deliverance. Lord, I've never been this home sick before. Well, Lord, I've never been this home sick before. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand tonight. So good to see each and every one of you. It's a beautiful day today. I just praise the Lord for the good weather, and I've been on a little backpacking trip with my brothers, and we ended up spending 
about 12 hours in a two-man tent together <laughs> while the rain poured down at about 35 degrees and it turned to freezing rain. And We knew that outside the tent was a beautiful view, just obscured by all that cold, wet, and rain. So that's the way it is uh, with us sometimes. You know, sometimes we, have to, we go into hiding and there's so much going on on the outside it can get our spirits down. But if we could just see through it all to the to the beauty that God's given to us, kind of reach out and claim it. Just push everything else aside and, and, and fix that view in your mind. I tell you what, when the rain stopped and the sun came out, and we could see the mountain, we could see the lake. It was a wonderful thing. We were praising God, you know. But we got to praise Him in the, in the tent as well. <laughs> Amen. So um, it's... It's wonderful to see you all here tonight. Let's um, let's put it in C, and um, we'll sing uh, ten thousand reasons. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh oh my soul, I worship His holy name. Sing like never. The sun comes up, there's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the Well, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll And you're slow to anger. Your hand is great and your heart is kind. Sing to him. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find.
and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Oh, time. Let's worship Him. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I'll several things in the way of announcements tonight and as we um, go through this um, brother David if you would get ready to come up and lead us in our prayer for our brothers and sisters we want to pray for the Smiths who are out tonight Sunday we have a dinner after the morning service we're going to honor our graduates and also it'll be a special recognition for brother Smith so hope you will all plan to stay on Sunday and it'll be a wonderful time in the Lord. Um, Hunter uh, McIntosh's father is in surgery, heart surgery. It's been somewhat delayed, I understand, but we're just praying that he'll come through that. Um, just rejoicing and on the men. Uh, right now, there's going on a men and boys camp out up at Linville Falls Campground, I believe. And uh, we're just praying for safety and a wonderful time of fellowship for these men and brothers who are out uh, camping and hopefully they'll have better weather than we did we want to pray for sister karen buchanan and um, brother keith's uncle's family his uncle passed away on monday so we we want to join them in mourning so brother david if you would come up and just lead us in prayer bring these names and these thoughts uh, before the throne of god this morning this evening let us pray Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity, dear Lord, to come into your house middle of the week, dear Lord, to get a renewing in our spirit, O oh God. We just come petitioning for these prayer requests that were mentioned, dear Lord. We know that many are the afflictions of the righteous, dear Lord. We just ask that you go to each need, dear Lord, and, and grant them healing to their bodies, dear Lord, for those that are sick and afflicted, O oh God, and the ones that aren't feeling well or down in their spirit, O oh God. Just send the angel with the soft hands to them, O oh God. Just ask you to send the comforter to the Buchanan family for their loss of his uncle, dear Lord. We just ask you to just deal with those provisions, dear Lord, that you've so 
already prepared for for them, dear Lord, at this time. Just ask, O oh God, that as we come to hear from you, that you anoint our ears to hear, dear Lord, and our eyes to see all the things that you would have us to, to see this evening. May you anoint the lips of Brother Barry as he brings the word. We just ask all these things and give this day into your hands. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother David. I have journeyed Through the long, dark night Out on the open sea By faith alone, sight unknown, amen, and yet his eyes were watching me, does it hold tonight, the anchor pole, praise you Jesus. Though the ship is battered, the anchor holds. Though the sails are torn, I I face the raging seas, the anchor holds, in spite of the storm, and I I've even held them in my hands, but I never knew they would slip right through like they were on. of sand and the anchor holds it holds tonight man. though the ship is battered just cling to Jesus the anchor holds though the sails are
in spite of the storm I have been young But I'm older now And there has been beauty eyes have seen it was in the night but it was in the night through the storms through the storms of my life that's where God proved his love Yes, the anchor holds, though the ship is battered. Amen. The anchor holds, though the sails are. And I have fallen on my knees as I faced the raging seas, but the anchor holds in spite of the storm. Amen. The anchor holds. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. Sometimes we look at what's going on above the ships, rocking back and forth. The sails appear torn. It's battered. The mast may be creaking and breaking, but under the surface, that anchor continues to hold. We're so thankful for it. Um, we'd like to ask the deacons to come up and uh, for the offering. I tell you what, it's sometimes, uh, you know, as we say, on a Wednesday night, you've come home from work or you've been dealing with children all day or we go through so many trials and we come into the house of God here. We want to set our burdens aside and focus on him. We want to lay them down. But I think the best way to say it is cast them upon Jesus, right? If we lay them aside our own self, they'll climb back up on us. If we set our burdens down, they'll climb right back on. But if we give them to Jesus, amen, he can, he can hold them back. He's the anchor that holds. Brother, and if you'll lead us to the Lord for the offering. Amen.
Well, just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away to a land where joy shall never end. Oh, I'll fly away. Then I'll fly away. Oh, glory, I'll fly away. I'll not die. Hallelujah, by and by, well, I'll fly away. Some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. Well, I'll fly away. I'll not die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. And when the shadows of this life have grown up, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars have flown, I will, I'll fly away. Singing, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. I'll not die, hallelujah, by and by, well, I'll fly away. It's just a few, and it's just a few more weary days, and then I'll fly away to a Joy shall never end. Oh, I'll fly away. Sing it now. Well, I'll fly away. Oh, glory. I'll fly away. No, I'll not die. Hallelujah. By and by. Well, I'll fly away. And then some glad morning. When this life is over, I'll fly away, well, to a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away, well, I'll fly away, oh, glory, I'll fly away, I'll not die. Hallelujah, by and by, I will, I'll fly away. i tell you what I love about this songbook. You know, when we grew up singing this, we would say, when I die, as if it was a given, right? But hallelujah, we could be raptured any moment, amen? And you know what? When Paul spoke of death, he liked to use that word for something spiritually that didn't you didn't want to happen. It's death. When he talked about the body, he said, fall asleep. And so even, even if we don't get taken in the rapture, I, we're still not going to die. Right? There's no death for the believer. Amen? So let's sing it. I love that. I love that line in this songbook. Together. Well, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away 
and I'll not die. Hallelujah, by and by. Glory. I'll fly away. One more time. Well, I'll fly away. Oh, glory. I'll fly away. And I'll not die. Hallelujah, by and by. I'll fly away. Hallelujah. That sounded good. Let's sing that uh, chorus again, if you don't mind. Let's go back to that. And let's sing that verse 3 again. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. I'll fly away. Father, we look forward to that day, and as Brother John said, we believe that it will be a departure, not necessarily through death, Lord, but I believe that the end-time bride is elected to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and Lord, we press towards that day, we look forward to that day, and in the name of Jesus Christ, the best thing we can do, Lord, is to commit our ways, our burdens, our cares to you. And depend upon you, Lord, with everything that is within us for the spiritual food for the journey that lays ahead. We commit our evening now into your hands, Lord, and ask that you would anoint the word to every heart. It's your word, and these are your people. I pray you'd bring the two together for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. While you have your Bible, let's stand and go to Revelation chapter 21, if you will. Revelation chapter 21. God bless you. Certainly good to be back in the house of the Lord. And um, an honor to be with you tonight. Welcome to summer schedule. All kinds of meetings, men's campouts, different things that are taking place, people moving around. And um, I appreciate you coming uh, tonight. It could be worse. You could be outside. Revelation 21, and verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. That's a glorious hope we have in our hearts. You may be seated tonight. God bless you. A couple of quick things here uh, tonight. We've been asked to remember Sister April Grant's sister, Andrea. She had an abnormal event on an x-ray, uh, which the doctors are concerned about, and she lives up in the near Seattle area up there, and they're sending her for further testing. So we've been asked to remember that need, if you don't mind. Uh, we are going to be having our dinner on Sunday, uh, for those of you that are going to be here, and... Uh, take advantage of that last Sunday in June, and so 
uh, as you should have gotten an email from uh, the deacon's wives uh, in relation to that dinner. And we're, we're going to try to keep it simple because we want to minimize the amount of work that's done. We know there is always work that needs to be done, but uh, we're asking for folks to pitch in and help, especially after the dinner so that uh, we can get cleaned up and doesn't rest on a few. And uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, we also, too, uh, this week we're doing our father and son, grandson, uh, we should just call it the male camp out. And uh, we, we realize that everybody can't be there. Several of you have said, oh, I'd love to be there, but I can't, can't make it for one reason or another. If you're able to come and visit for a meal or an evening, you're certainly welcome to do that. Some of the brothers uh, didn't know that. And uh, I let them know individually. So if if they're able to come, and uh, if you're able to come, and you want to just drop in for a, a little a little space of time and a, a meal, or uh, maybe evening uh, evening campfire, you're certainly welcome to do that. It start there. Some of the brothers are already there, and they'll go through until Saturday, and then back here for. Sunday, so uh, you certainly want to keep that in mind. And if you've never been, it's a treat uh, to go. <clears throat> I wanted to um, also just start in this subject here tonight. And before I do, I wanted to make this one mention. Many, many times we get prayer requests. We're asked to pray for people. And uh, and we do, and I, I think I think it's a commendable thing that people would even uh, ask us to pray for a specific need. And I, I always I always take those seriously, even if you know we don't know the person, but they're connected to somebody, and uh, that it might be a coworker or coworker's family. Even uh, sometimes, you know, it's amazing how that uh, if there's if there's some sort of a healing or something, a person recovers and does well. Sometimes it's amazing how that that testimony can ripple back and, you know, they'll come and thank you for praying. And and sometimes it gives a great opportunity to be able to witness the things that God uh, is able to do. Because there's a lot of people who don't believe in prayer cloths today. They don't believe in in supernatural miracles that occur because of people praying for divine healing. A lot of people don't believe that. It's not in their church uh, doctrine, if you like. It's not in their church creed. And so, therefore, they they don't believe it. I've had people who were dying, who resisted literally resisted prayer cloths because they just didn't believe it in their church. And I said, but it's biblical. And they didn't believe it in their church, so they didn't, didn't, didn't want to have it. But when something good happens, sometimes it comes back, and uh, I think it's a, a great open door. This is one of those. We were asked to pray for Brother Yvonne Carrion's granddaughter, and she had a really unusual situation uh, which was uh, caused by growth, growth defect, birth defect, and, and it never was healed. Uh, as she grew, and as a young teenager, she began to experience problems. They did a really complex uh, operation, and uh, she had limited movement when she came out of the operation. They were very concerned. They sent her to rehab. Uh, but uh, these were two pictures today because I heard she graduated. And uh, so this is the uh, pictures today. And then in the picture on the right, uh, there was a brother in their church up in New York City who uh, needed to dig out his basement, and she got in there with the rest of the people who were digging out the basement, and that's what that picture is. And uh, they're hauling dirt out in five-gallon buckets there. And uh, they warned her, you know, they were c- concerned about her doing such heavy work, but she did it anyway. Uh, 
And, uh, and I thought that was really a, a great testimony. So she seems to be doing very well, and I'm, I'm thankful to be able to pass that on to you. We're often asked to pray. We don't often get the follow-up. So it's really nice to be able to pass that, <clears throat> pass that along to you uh, because God does answer prayer. And many times, you know, you, you just get the uh, request in, but uh, sometimes things work out okay and we never hear anything about it. I think it's great to testify of, of what God has done because he's still a miracle-working God. Now, I want to uh, uh, broach on an un- unusual subject this morning and uh, this evening here. And uh, this is something that I, uh, stems from a, a correction that I want to make from last Wednesday night. And last Wednesday night, I was giving a uh, little testimony about Ukraine and uh, the situation over there and the needs that people have, which are, uh, you know, they're, they're still ongoing uh, in Ukraine. Um, but in that, I was talking about oil and gas and how that even though People today, they protest about exploration and, and extracting oils and uh, so forth, oil and gas out of the earth. Uh, it's still a very much a part of our world, and it's still very much a part of prophecy. And there are prophecies that are given in the Bible about oil and about uh, the resources of the earth. And uh, I made a comment where I said, well, despite what all the tree huggers may think and so forth, and I made a couple of uh, just a little slam that way. And I, I hadn't intended to make that comment, and I went on and did not qualify making that statement. So I began, to, it, it, it just kind of stuck with me. And when something like that sticks with me, I figure maybe the Holy Spirit wants me to just say a little something about it. So I began to look at this, and I began to think about this whole subject of the earth and the new earth. Because creation and new creation are the two bookends of the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created. In the end, we just read how that God's going to create a better place. So creation and new creation are the beginning and the ending. They are the bookends, if you like, of all that happened in between. And so, therefore, uh, I wanted to come back and make a correction here, but not, uh, not just an apology or a correction, because uh, I know that there are people who are very passionate about the warming of the earth. Uh, voila, we have lots of earth warming going on today. And uh, all of the uh, irregular weather patterns and all the rest of it that, that are taking place. And uh, there, there is certainly some truth to it that, Things in the earth are changing. Things in the atmosphere are changing. And things that uh, men have done to the earth have uh, caused a negative effect. And I, 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 you have to acknowledge that. You have to realize that. There are, uh, there, somebody was telling me the other day that all of the uh, emission controls and all of the precautions that are being taken uh, by vehicles alone, motor vehicles alone, and when I was just recently in Norway, they said 70% of all vehicles over there are electric now. 70%. Lucas and I just rented an electric vehicle, and we were traveling around. And I thought, wow, this is great, you know, to be able to ride around on a battery because you can't hear anything, and it's so quiet. And I thought, well, I'll reduce my carbon footprint on this trip and, and go. And then I realized how quickly that battery fades. And I thought, oh, uh, this isn't fun if you're in the middle of northern Ontario somewhere and there's not exactly a plug-in up there. Uh, but nonetheless, we made it through, but partly by the skin of our teeth. And uh, 
Uh, either way, we did reduce our carbon footprint, so that was nice. And I realize that a lot of people that are very passionate about that, and I realize also there are many billions of dollars being given out uh, to green companies and green concerns and all of that. And I'm not against any of that. I mean, if they want to do that, that's fine. I never want to get involved in the political, okay? So that's not my concern at all. When it crosses into the prophetic, well, that's a different story. Or when it's biblical, it's a different story. The political passions that people have are their own. They're not mine, and we don't preach them here or express them here. So that's not my concern. But I will acknowledge this, that the earth is changing. And I believe it's changing not for uh, the reasons of excessive carbon emissions. I believe that it's changing because of prophecy. I believe the earth is groaning and travailing. It's, it's desiring to get back to the same thing we're trying to get back to, and that is the original. And I think that scientists in their nature, no offense, because I know we have some men of science here, and our house is blessed with the men of science, but we, we realize that uh, they, they always have to have a theory or a reason why certain phenomena take place in the earth, especially if you've discarded scripture. So they have to come up with a reason. Some of those reasons are okay and some of them are not. Uh, I've traveled into the Arctic Circle uh, visiting the Eskimos up there, and they they have told me, they said, we see vast changes here, and it's more obvious in a place like the Arctic Circle because there's not much up there uh, to, you know, there's not much up there that's different. It's it's a a very consistent kind of landscape, and uh, the animals they've seen for years, they've always seen for years, but now all of a sudden they're seeing new kinds of animals, bugs, and things that they don't have names for. There are no Eskimo names for some of the creatures that are showing up in the water and on the land and in the air. And it's because that the, uh, the earth is, because it's warming and gradually things are thawing out quicker, animals are able to move up, up into higher hunting grounds and mating grounds and all the rest of it, and it is changing. And they said, this is really a true phenomenon. But they were, I was saying that, you know, all of the emissions that take place in our world, uh, you know, they say that over in uh, China, for instance, that uh, they can produce in, in a couple of power plants, they can produce enough pollution as all of the pollution that is saved in North America in a day. So there's enough emissions and enough pollution that goes on in one part of the world And even though there's efforts on the other side of the world to counter that, there's still lots that goes on there because they have less regulation. I think in our nation we've done a great job. Uh, And scientifically, some of you engineers can back this up, that uh, there's been a lot of great work that's done to reduce the amount of pollution in our country. I mean, uh, we, we could give you lots of examples. Again, though, that's not my point, and that's not what I want, that's not what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that, you know, the... The, the earth is going through changes, and it's never going to be the same again. Brother Branham describes in the sixth seal, which is threefold, that nature takes a tumble. And all nature is upset in a way that the world has never seen. And as a result of that, it, it's going to be an upheaval that you don't want to be around to witness. And by God's grace, the bride will not be here to witness the upheaval in nature that the Bible talks about and the sixth seal talks about and the things that Brother Bram described. The bride will not be here. But our hope rests upon this new earth, right? Our hope is all focused on new, new heavens and new earth, where we're going, 
That's what our hope is all about. Now, for a person who maybe is ignorant of the message, and I'm not saying they're ignorant, but I'm saying that they're maybe not aware of the things that have been brought in the last day, uh, their hope is simply based on the fact that uh, Jesus died, he rose, rose again, and promised us a world to come. But that's really about all they know about it. But with us, we have had a prophet who described that world and talked about things out of Scripture, out of Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66, uh, out of Second Peter, and uh, brought together many of those Scriptures that contribute to our understanding of what that world's going to be like. But better than that, we've, got, we've had a prophet in this last day who visited that land, at least a portion of it, and came back and described what it was like. And then Brother Branham, uh, in his, in his experience, went, uh, preached in 1964, the future home, and, uh, gave us much description about, uh, things that, uh, were, uh, were going, they were eventually going to happen, they were going to unfold, and they were going to be enjoyed by the people of God, uh, in the world to come. And then, of course, he talks about things that are to be in 1965, and many other different sermons. When you begin to hunt and search and, uh, look, there are all kinds of things that he said about where we're going to. Hey, that's our hope. There's a reason why, I learned this today, there's a reason why that there are, uh, there was a lot of people who back in, back, uh, maybe 50, 100 years ago were very upset or they were not interested in promoting Negro spirituals. The music that, that was created by Negroes, especially Negroes who were bound in slavery. And I happen to really like that music. I've got some of it. Brother Andy sent me some of it. I have uh, some of it and it's, and especially the acapella stuff. And uh, they often said that uh, slaves would hold church services uh, when they were on plantations years ago when they were still slavery, and uh, that kind of slavery at least. And uh, the, uh, when they would have evening service, they said the, oftentimes the masters of the plantation would come and they would listen to the singing. They really enjoyed it, and they would listen to the services and the preaching and so forth. But they said after that was over, many of the slaves would go down by the river and they would have their own service without anybody else attending. It was just uh, more or less just a privately held service, and they would do that and sing, uh, sing spiritual songs down there. Many people, many people backed away from those songs because it was all about the world to come. It was all about uh, what was going to happen when, when we all rose from the dead and when Jesus came back and all of that. And so Negro spirituals were kind of, in a sense, put in a class because they spoke about the future too much. But I will tell you this, that, and, and this, is, this is what's interesting, is that your faith and your hope of the future very often shapes your present. The life of a slave was a miserable life, full of danger and full of hardships that none of us really know anything about. And they went through those years. And the thing that kept them going, they said, was this thriving hope that they had, this burning hope within their heart that one day they would reach that place and it would all, all the injustices would be made right on the other side. And they will. And all the wrongs would be made right on the other side. And they will. And justice will finally be served on the other side. And it will. And they believed that and they sang about that. And that was their hope. And that kept them going. Let me explain it this way. I heard a story about two fellows who were, who were given a job and they were selected to, uh, to go into a room and they had to stay in this room and they were going to nail one piece of something to another piece of something and that's, that was the entirety of the job. It was an extremely boring job. 
And they, pro- they were promised that after a year, they, after, sorry, after six months, they would be paid. And one of the men was promised, he was told privately that he was going to be paid $20,000 at the end of a year for nailing this piece to this piece and coming up with a nail piece and laying it aside. And after, after six months, he'd get $20,000. The other man was taken aside, and he was promised that he would get $2 million at the end of the year. Well, you can imagine what it must have been like. After a while, this guy was only going to get $20,000. He just grew tired of that after a month or two. and He wanted out. He wanted to quit the program. The guy, though, who was promised a $2 million, he was whistling as he worked. He was happy as a mudlark because this is an easy way to make $2 million. So his hope of the future defined his present. I'm not a philosopher. But let me say this. That I believe that we as the people of God, we have, it's easy to say we have great hope, but we have great hope described. We have great hope biblically spoken that shapes our present because we know that no matter how bad it gets here, we have a great thing waiting for us over there. So our future determines our present. Our future helps shape or mold our attitude in the present, right? And so, therefore, it's a, uh, it's a glorious thing when you think about what lays in store for the people of God. Uh, hey, th- no, matter, no matter how sick a person gets, no matter how disastrous things get, uh, no matter how shut down the world becomes or whatever else happens, they cannot take away what God has permanently placed within our hearts. And the hope that we have is a biblical hope. It's not just some, uh, some thoughts or imaginations of a man. It's biblical. And so, therefore, it's something that we can count on. It's going to happen exactly the way that God said. And it's going to happen exactly in the season that God said. So, first of all, all of this is based on the resurrection of Christ. Because if that never happened, then none of us really would have any hope. We only would have hope in this life. Right? The second thing is, is that all of this came into view for us at the opening, of the, uh, the opening of the seals, or the open book that we look at now, which came into view in the last day, that describes in more thorough detail anything that we knew through the ages, because through the ages we look through a glass darkly. So God did a great thing in opening the word for us, because it allowed us to see, not only get a better understanding of where we are, but about where we're going to. The opening of the word causes that. The opening of the word is something we get excited about because it allows us to see many, many things that were obscure to other ages, right? Are we okay with that? Now, this whole whole concept and this whole idea of the earth and the earth to come or the future earth is important to us because how we, actually how we treat the earth and our stewardship of it is important to God, believe it or not. Because the earth is the Lord's, right? And, and David underscores this in Psalm 24, and he talks about, uh, you know, how, how people in their ignorance, they, they kind of feel like they have control of things. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they're making decisions that really matter. And David kind of backs up and he says, hey, but the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
God owns it all. At the end of the day, God owns it all. Paul comes along in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and this is rather a lengthy chapter, but he, he talks about the experiences of the children of Israel, and he says that, uh, you know, there are many, many things that the children of Israel went through, and all those things are examples for us. And God is, wa- God wa- is watching over us in the same way that he watched over the children of Israel, and there's no temptation taken you, which is so great that there isn't a way out of that temptation, because God will make with the temptation a way of escape. He'll make an egress out of the current situation. Even if you can't see it at the moment, God makes a way out. God's a specialist at doing that. After all, Paul says, he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That theme runs all the way through scripture. Now, let me, let me take a, just a focused look for a moment. In birth pains, and Brother Branham specifically talks about the passing of one world, one kingdom, one world order, into another one, but one has to die. They, but they can't coexist. So you can't have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man existing in the same place, same time. One has got to give way. So Brother Manum in birth pains, he says this. Remember the Bible told us in Matthew 5 that the meek will inherit the earth. The meek and the humble will inherit the earth. And he quotes that scripture there. He says, Jesus said so. Now they've polluted it, and God will destroy them. God, They have polluted it. But God will destroy them, and the meek will inherit the earth after it's been purified. Because God never created an earth to be polluted. God never created an earth to die because of the filth and the, and the, uh, the things that have been done in the earth. God never created the earth to be treated that way. God never created the earth to be used that way. And what Brother Branham tells us and what God tells us in the scripture is that he will destroy them. He will have his day. Now, First Peter chapter 1 says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ's grace be unto you. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. I, I love long introductions, by the way. Uh, these are, this might seem lengthy and wordy introductions. I, if I still get a chance to write a physical letter, which is rare, but if I write a physical letter, now it's all, you know, very brief. But if I write a letter, I like to have a, a nice, fleshy introduction. I don't know if you, you got to be over 40, I guess, to understand what I'm saying. Paul says that we have, we have been begotten by a lively hope uh, by the resurrection from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. God and, and Peter is just simply illustrating the fact that God has an inheritance that's not quite like this. It'll be similar to this, but not this. Not this corruption. Not this pollution that you, that you see. Not this uh, corrupt earth that we see around us here. We, we, won't, we won't see those things in the world to come. And the world to come that we have uh, will not fade away. Let me say this, that the end goal or the end result of all that God had in mind from the beginning was to dwell among men. That was the intent that God had in the beginning. In the very beginning, God wanted to, when you look at, even if he had never said anything, uh, we look at his actions. And in his actions, the very first thing that God created was uh, to, to create a place on the earth that he could put himself and his people and they could dwell together in harmony. That was God's intent. 
And God has always been interested in establishing that and re-establishing that over time. And it's always been corrupted and always been uh, messed with over time. But one day, Peter is saying that you will come to a place that is incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it will not fade away. It will not pass from the condition that God restores it into. And it's reserved in heaven. Thank God it's reserved in heaven. Nothing's going to change that. Now... Just give me, let, me, give, let me give you a couple of opening scriptures here. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. This is what God's declaration is. If you pollute this earth, if... if there's corruption. I'm going to remove this corruption from the earth. I'm going to take it away. And he says, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark and shalt pitch it and so forth. And he describes that. So God states categorically that for those that corrupted the earth, he said, I will destroy them that destroy the earth. Again, he says it over in Revelation at the end of the book. He says, uh, we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints. So come a, re- a time of handing out rewards, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. Same phrase, same, same idea. That God... God looks at us in the same way that he looked at Adam and said, Adam, I want you to be a keeper of the garden. I want you to be a keeper. of. They're going to set you over this, this uh, part of the earth here. And I want you to be a keeper. And, and, and the Bible says that Adam kept it and he dressed it and he watched over it. In other words, he had a responsibility that it produced the right thing. And so here's God saying, in, in, this is only two, but there are several places in Scripture where he says that there will come a time when God will judge and God will assess, and he says, those that destroyed the earth, I'm going to destroy. So there's a, there's a message in here for us. And the temple of God was open in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and so forth. Uh, this is a description, again, of uh, future times. So, I, again, this is, this is something that I, I, I was surprised when I uh, began to look at the, uh, the length and breadth of what was said here. Now, give me a sec. The end time, 1964, is the name of the sermon. The end time. Brother Branham says now they can, ex- they can explode out in Nevada. He said, burst up a little grenade. And when this wicked enemy we got will break one here and one there, these chains of relays will get together. And what will happen? He said, let the war start. Now, back in that day, uh, the, the, the weapons that he's referring to then were more primitive than what they are today. And many of those weapons were certainly a lot less accurate and uh, less potent, but they, you know, they had qualities about them that he's describing here. But he was, he's saying that if, if, if this big thing begins to spiral out of control, it's, it's going to destroy the whole earth. You know, it's going to mess up everything. And I heard the other day on the radio that the biggest part of scientists of the world uh, give the world 10 years to total annihilation. Well, we know that's not true, right? But that's a scientific assessment. And he said that's scriptural speaking. Sorry, that's not scripturally speaking. That's scientifically speaking. 
So it's quite a difference now. He's quoting what the, he heard on the radio, but he said, now that's scientific, that's not scriptural. Ten years for total annihilation. And that won't contradict the Bible, just what the Bible says, the heavens and the earth will be on fire. So it will eventually be destroyed. This, the atmospheres of this earth and the pollution of this earth and the filth and the dirt of this earth will be destroyed. And he says, so that doesn't contradict the scripture. It's the timing thing that does. Are we okay? So scientifically, it's virtually impossible to calculate when this is going to happen. Even we who don't follow it scientifically, but we follow it scripturally, we can't put our finger on a specific date, right? We shouldn't put our finger on a specific date. However, we have a sense of the readiness we need to have in our lives before this all happens, right? There's some things that we know we can do to be ready so that whenever it happens, we're ready to vacate this earth and uh, move on so we won't be affected by the cleansing that goes on. And he says, just what the Bible said, heavens and earth will be on fire, sweep over these deserts and everything and be nothing left. So Brother Branham's acknowledging that scientists bless their hearts because if you say that, then you can say the next thing. And Brother Branham is saying the scientists bless their hearts They have some things right. They have a sense that, you know, there are, there, there are no real advantages in our world today. And I've heard him say this recently. There are no real advantages in this world for rogue nations that have atomic weapons. Because the, the result of that, the effect of that is pretty devastating to mankind. And that's right. That is a correct statement. Uh, that's not something to use lightly. That's not something that, Anybody wants to see happen again in our world. And, new, and deterrence is a really important word, uh, politically speaking, because, uh, you know, there are arms races that get built up between the U.S. and Russia and the U.S. and China and so forth. And those, those deterrent or those races which, well, you've got a thousand warheads, we'll have a thousand warheads, and we'll hold it at that, that kind of keeps this thing in balance because we don't want to have somebody that, we don't want to have such an imbalance that somebody feels like they got a, a right or a, a means to do something that other nations don't have. And so it's better to be without it, obviously, and in the new heavens we will be without it. But Brother Branham is saying that this, the scientists have it, there are some things they have right, and, and there, are, there are lots of means of destruction in the earth, is what he's simply saying. But I want you to take notice now what he says. There are things that we say scripturally, and there are things that we say scientifically. All right? Now, <clears throat> again, Brother Branham makes a comment, and he said, we just heard a lecture from Einstein on the galaxy and the constellation, and it was one of his great speeches. Apparently, it was in New York City, and Brother Branham was there. Uh, in the paradox, Brother Branham refers to it again. He said, Einstein, the great scientist, he said, there's only one sensible way to explain the origin of this earth, and that was found in Hebrews chapter 11, 3. By faith we understand that God formed the world out of things that didn't exist, and he spoke it into existence. So Einstein made that reference in that, in that particular lecture uh, when Brother Branham was there, and he refers to it several times in his uh, sermons throughout uh, time. So now let's, for a moment... Let's go back and take a look at what science says. Now, how many of you remember when Brother Jason Watkins was here on the weekend we did the marriage banquet? And you remember he talked about the universe and the quantum physics and all of that, right? 
And uh, he, he was, uh, you know, developing that thought in his own mind and so forth. And he said he went and preached it in other different uh, places as well and uh, drew some lessons from it. After he left here, and he and I didn't get a chance much to talk about that, but after he left here and went home, I asked him, did he ever read this book on Einstein? And he said, no, he didn't. So I ordered it from him and sent it to him. And uh, I invited him to, to read that, I believe, which he did. And this is a biography of uh, Einstein by Isaacson. And one of my boys got this from Princeton University where Einstein lived and taught. And uh, I, I, I found it to be a really fascinating book. It's really a, quite an interesting book. But, uh, you know, it describes his life and how, how he developed in his understanding of things. And uh, in, the, in this book, there is a section on Einstein and faith. And faith was a real, um, a real dilemma for Einstein. And again, now, we're just talking about the scientific part of things, just for a minute, all right? And the science, or, sorry, science was something that Einstein could relate to. Uh, income taxes was something that he couldn't relate to. He always had trouble with income tax. He always needed help to get his income tax done. But when it came to faith, it was really an interesting struggle that Einstein had. And in this particular book... Uh, there's a chapter called Einstein's God. And the whole chapter is written about, and you can read this chapter online. I found it online today. Uh, you can read this whole chapter because it's all based on a young girl who submitted a question to Einstein after one of his presentations, and she just simply said a three-word question, and it stumped him. It stumped him for a long time. And the question was, do scientists pray? Do scientists pray? Well, he went into this long rigmarole of an explanation and said all kinds of things about it. And uh, he never really came out with a yes or a no, because if you say, well, if scientists pray, who do they pray to? You know, a God that doesn't have substance but exists and is real? A God, you know, something that we believe by faith instead of proving by the scientific method? And he went into, it was a real dilemma for him to answer that question, do scientists pray? I think she was a nine-year-old girl and answered uh, and asked him that question. This chapter is devoted uh, to this particular uh, question that, that was asked him and other questions that were similar to it. Now, he, Einstein's parents were Jewish, but they were not observant Jews at all. As a matter of fact, they didn't care whether he went to a Jewish school or not. He wound up going to a secular school. Uh, they were not practicing. They, in all of Einstein's family, there was only one uncle who ever went to synagogue at all. And they asked him one time, they said, Uncle, why do you go to synagogue? And he said, well, you know, what if we're all wrong? That's the only reason that he gave. And so Einstein's answers about faith and about the Bible and about Jesus were really interesting because he was a Jew, number one, so he had a kind of a natural veil over him and could not see what we see. But he had the unique ability to look into nature and see all kinds of phenomena out there that couldn't be explained by just normal human thinking. And he realized and he came to the conclusion that there had to be a higher power. So for Einstein to say that, uh, that was quite, quite a, uh, you know, an expression of faith uh, back in that day. Because he was surrounded by people who were moving away from faith as an explanation for everything. Right? Back, in the, back in, uh, until the 1950s and 60s, the Bible had the final answer for everything. Well, the scientific community was moving away from the Bible having the answers or the answers being mystical or supernatural they wanted to have physical proof are you following me and so 
for Einstein to come back and say, yeah, like Brother Branham said, he heard him say that, you know, it had to be, at the end of the day, it had to be Hebrews 11.3, which by faith the worlds were formed, uh, you know, by God in the very beginning, right? So that's, Brother Branham picked that up because the whole scientific world was moving away to a tangible logical, mathematical, scientific explanation for everything, and not the faith-based way of looking at everything. Now, I'm not saying that the faith-based way was entirely accurate, right? Because you remember Brother Bram talking about the French scientist who said if you go more than 30 miles an hour, he said you wouldn't be able to stay on the earth, right? Remember that? So there, there were... There were lots of things that were not known. And I showed you the the different uh, uh, diagrams before of how back in the days of Galileo when they invented the telescope, Galileo realized that contrary to what the Catholic Church taught, the earth is not the center of the universe. Right? That was the teaching of the Catholic Church. That's what they believed. And if you didn't believe that, you could lose your head. Galileo comes along, invents the telescope, observes the heavens and the stars and so forth and the sun, and he realizes, wow, you know what? The sun is not revolving around us. We're revolving around the sun. And even when he came and brought the telescope as proof into the Vatican, the priests were there. They refused to look. They stood like this, and they said, we're not going to look. I mean, why are you interrupting our theory with truth after all? My goodness, that's the last thing we need to have brought in here is truth. But it was the Pope's dictum that this is the way it is, and so therefore tradition held that, uh, you know, that's, that's the way it was, until science, you know, absolutely proved that uh, they were wrong. And so this was, a, this was a big issue, and here's Brother Branham now. He's talking about Einstein, and he comes into this, into this conclusion, and it was a novel thing for him to say. It was an extraordinary thing for him to say, really, that, uh, that, that there had to be a higher power. There had to be a force that brought things together. Just for a minute, just for a minute, let me read you a little bit, and this is a little passage from this book on this chapter, Einstein's God, and this is what's said. Follow me here just for a little bit. It may seem logical that a combination of awe and rebellion made Einstein exceptional as a scientist. He was not only rebellious, but he he was awed by the natural world. But what is less well known is that these two traits also combined to shape his spiritual journey and determine the nature of his faith. The rebellion part comes in at the beginning of his life. He rejected his parents' secular ways. They were not Jews. And later the concepts of religious ritual and a personal God who intercedes in the daily workings of the world. Stop for a minute. One of the things that Einstein never believed is that you could know a God personally like I do and like you do. He never believed that. He believed that God created the heavens and the earth. That was his worldview. He believed that God, somehow there was a higher power that created it all. And he was out there watching over all the happenings of the universe and the world. But you couldn't know him. You couldn't meet him and speak to him and have him speak to you. That idea, Einstein never accepted. Okay? So he says, but in his 50s, when he settled into a deism based on what he called the spirit manifest in the laws of the universe and since belief in God, in a God who reveals himself in the harmony of all that exists. This is what Einstein basically believed, that there was a God who reveals himself in the harmony of all that exists. Well, that's exactly what Brother Branham said. Brother Branham said it just in words that were a little shorter. You watch what Brother Branham said. He said, God's in nature. This is exactly the same thing. 
that there was what Einstein called a spirit manifest in the laws of the universe and a God who reveals himself in the harmony of all that exists. There could never be such harmony in the universe unless somebody ordained it to be. Never could be. Then he says, Einstein did, this is the author of the book, the Einstein did, however, retain from his childhood religious phase a profound faith in and reverence for the harmony and beauty of what he called the mind of God. He said this had to come from the mind of God as it was expressed in the creation of the universe and its laws. Around the time he turned 50, he began to articulate more clearly his deepening appreciation of his belief in God, though rather an impersonal version of one. So he never believed in that one-on-one relationship that you could have with God or new birth. He never believed that. But he believed that somehow there was a mind of God that thought it all out and worked it all out and set it all in motion here. Even if we don't understand it, he believed there had to be some higher power. It wasn't just poof, like somebody taking a stick of dynamite and throwing it in the library, uh, you know, in the library and coming out with uh, all kinds of books and things that were, or sorry, a stick of dynamite, throwing it into a printing company and coming out with a library full of books. The Big Bang Theory is kind of similar, that out of nothing came all of this order in the universe. Einstein said, no, that's silly. He said there had to be something in the mind of someone somewhere to create the world as it is. All right, here's Brother Branham now in Restoration of the Bride Tree. tree. He said, God has set all his laws to serve him, both natural and spiritual, working according to his word, regardless of the condition. God works everything to serve him, both natural and spiritual, according to his word, regardless of the condition. Whether the earth was without form and void and black in the very beginning and nothing was there, God could create something out of that to fulfill his word. Or whether it was in the womb of Mary, God could actually bring forth a child, even though it was not logical or possible in the minds of men. God could still do it. Do you believe that? And in the same way, God could come down your street at your particular time and summon you, call you by name, and bring you into a new birth experience. God could do that even though all of the earth out there still needs to be run in the nations and everything else. God could still, he can still reveal himself to his elect individually so that you know, that you know, that you know there is a God. Your experience should be solid enough. And John sang about the anchor tonight and, uh, you know, the, uh, how the anchor holds. I would tell you what, your experience should be such that nothing can dislodge you from the truth of the fact that there is a God and I know him and he knows me. Brother Branham goes on to say in the end of the same paragraph, and Brother Branham's talking about the, he commanded the sun, the moon, he commanded the earth, he commanded nature, and they all fall right in the word. He said they all fall right in the word. And all the works in harmony, all the laws work in harmony with God's spoken word, and the law of life that's in us will bring us to a resurrection. He said it's impossible for it not to happen. So the laws of God, they operate. Whether they operate in the oceans, and they do, or whether they operate in you, they do. Hey, let me tell you, it's all going to fulfill God's, God's intent, right? So what I, Einstein has tapped into the right thing. In, in other words, here's another example of science saying the same thing and saying the thing that's right. And, and they asked him, they said, do you accept the historical existence of Jesus? Here's his answer. He said, unquestionably. No one can read the gospel without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word, and no myth is filled with such life. You can't read Aesop's fables and come up with the same feeling and the same conclusions, right? 
And it's just amazing. Einstein, with, without any religious background, without any religious training. As a matter of fact, uh, when, he was in, uh, when he was in his younger years going to school, uh, he was introduced to the Catholic faith. And they gave him books that were re- related to the Catholic faith. And he read them and he thought, wow, these are amazingly interesting. As he'd never heard anything quite like that before. And he was an avid reader, and he consumed lots of things there. But he, he did say this, that, that when it comes to the Gospels of Jesus, he said they're unquestionably true, he said, because there has to be a presence behind that. And that's what Einstein believed all of his life. Then they asked him, they said, do you believe in God? And he said, well, I'm not an atheist. The problem is too vast for our limited minds. The whole creation is too vast for our limited minds. We are in a position of a little child entering a huge library with books in many languages. The child knows somebody must have written these books. It doesn't know how. It doesn't understand the languages in which they're written. And the child dimly suspects a mysterious order in the arrangement of the books, but doesn't know what it is. He said that is the attitude of even the most intelligent human being toward God. We see the universe marvelously arranged and obeying certain laws, but we only dimly understand these laws. I thought that was a great way of saying it. He said, when you walk into it, like when a child walks into a library, they don't know, they don't understand how it all got there and all the different languages and the order of the books and the arrangement of everything that's there. Uh, they don't understand all of that. But nonetheless, nonetheless, they realize they got there somehow. Somebody, somebody put them in place there. And they're arranged in a certain way and obey certain laws. Uh, he says, even if we don't, if, if we don't understand those laws, we don't understand the principles there. And I, 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 you have to commend Einstein for taking that position because he said that's what an intelligent human being would, would, uh, come to conclude about all of it is that, uh, you know, there, there had to be something prior to me and there's going to be something after me. And there's something in the visible world, but obviously there's something in the other world as well. There's other forces that are acting. And even though we can't see it, we can see the effect of it like wind or like electricity. And we're constantly discovering things that uh, no one knew anything about, but here they are. Like television. Brother Branham said it was around in the Garden of Eden. So it's not something new, but it's newly discovered. And so if the earth is the Lord's, let me tell you, God thought it all out. God made an arrangement in the beginning and set it all in motion and then comes to a place where uh, we discover it and we're able to enjoy the benefits of the things that God has placed in the earth. Hey, he said television would be okay if it wasn't perverted, right? There are lots of things in this earth that would be fine for people to enjoy if they weren't perverted by the God of this evil age. And so you have this admixture of scientists who absolutely draw you farther away from God uh, in their explanation of things, just like they did in the days of Noah, uh, when they said, well, hey, uh, you know, even though Noah says this, we technically, logically know there is no such thing as rain. And you can imagine how they must have influenced people away from the ark uh, in, their, in their lecturing and in their websites and everything else that they had back in that day. Whatever they had, uh, they must have been an influence back in that time. And here's Einstein saying, well, one thing is for sure, I'm not an atheist. So here's Brother Branham, and he said, now we're told by God's prophets that we have to have a new earth, a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21. And I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. And he said, now if we're to have a new earth, the old earth and the new earth cannot exist at the same time, or the new world and the old world can't exist at the same time. There can't be two world orders together at the same moment, and 
in order to get the new earth, one has to die, and the old one has to die, is giving birth, for, birth pains now for a new one to come. And I believe, saints of God, I really do believe that what we're looking at in this earth today is, uh, is that actual process of the earth groaning and travailing, wanting to go back to original design, the way that God made it, just like you and I groan to go back uh, to original design. I find that in our, in our world, and I don't mean to sound pessimistic, but I find in our world is a real lack of satisfaction and a real lack of peace in our world. There's a lack of shalom. When there should be the most shalom ever, there's a lack of shalom. There are better medicines, better facilities, better, uh, more money floating around and all the rest of it. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, if it was controlled correctly, the earth should be a great place. But it's nothing but continual frustration. And there's, there's frantic busyness and the frenzy of, of, of the pace of life and all the other things. You're constantly faced with decisions. We're constantly faced with change, change in health, change in the way that things are run. There's change and decay stamped over everything that's about this earth. And even though, even though we as believers, we have a peace that the world knows nothing about and we have an expectation that the world knows nothing about, and I'm grateful that we have a hope that the world knows nothing about. I mean, we have a hope, and I'm thankful for it. We have to live and endure this world until we get out of here. And it is a, uh, to me, it is a, uh, a perseverance, like Brother Branham described. It's a perseverance that we have to have because, hey, the Bible clearly tells us where we're going. That's not a guess. The message describes what it's going to be like when we get there. That's not a guess. That there's going to be a predestinated people, that's not a guess either. It's a foregone conclusion. There are people predestinated to be there. Our job is to press. Our job is to endure. Our job is to press on. And to make sure that we don't fall prey to the traps that Satan will lay out there. Traps that divert us from the things that, uh, that, that God laid down for us that are certain, that are absolutes, that are, uh, that are sound principles that we should follow in our life. Principles of holiness. No matter how much technology is involved, principles of holiness are still biblical. Right? Principles of kindness. Principles of forgiveness. Principles of brotherly love and fellowship and so forth. All of those things are in there and they were never removed. Matter of fact, Brother Graham came along and reinstated them. There are ordinances that God reinstated to us in the last day. And all of those things, I think, are important for us to practice. And I think we need to come back. Brother Branham suggested that every person should have a home base. They should have a church. A place that they can call their own. And be a part of. Be a part of the cause. Take communion, foot washing, and, you know, support it with their tithes and offerings and all of that. And Brother Bram never changed that. He never said, the day will come, folks, when you stay home and listen to tapes. He never suggested that at all. He said, stay with your pastor. And, you know, all the other things were related to that. In other words, he created a base for us and never moved away from that. And even in the last days, he said, it was, I'm so glad that Brother Perry's moved out to Tucson and opened up a church out here. He says, now I've got a place where I can bring my family out here. Because that's God's order. I believe it's God's order for families to be ministered to when they come to a church, not just in a doctrinal sense, but I think in every other way. I think, I think it's good to encourage families to be real Christian families. I think it's, it's good for us to learn how to resolve differences. I think it's good for us to learn how to uh, resist the, the, the devil from coming into our home and Sodom pressing into your household. I think all of those things are good to know. 
Because the times we live in are different than what it was 50 years ago and 100 years ago. Things are different. And so God's given us these, uh, these foundational things here for us uh, to know and to hold on to because he knew the times would change. He knew that uh, there'd be things come. Scientists and the world around us, the media, the press, all of the, the government leaders, all of them, they have a certain amount of truth, but they're not hitting the nail on the head. All right, So we know enough to know that that's not something I'm going to commit to. That's not something I'm going to uh, you know, invest in uh, all, all the days of my life. I'm not counting on them to get me into the rapture. I'm not counting on them to get me in there. As good as people as they are, nice people as they are, and I'm not being uh, personally critical here. It's just that I'm not depending on our president to get us into the rapture. Not at all. So in a sense, God's ruined our perspective by making us believe and follow and commit to only one thing, and that is his word. That is his presence. Because to me, it's out of that comes light. It's out of that comes holiness. It's out of that comes new life. It's out of that comes the resurrection. It's out of that will come our passage from this life into the world to come. I believe out of that comes the transition between this kingdom and that kingdom. And this kingdom is dying out. This world's falling apart. You ought to listen to uh, some of the doctors. I was listening to Sister a- April Grant. And she was talking about the uh, just just the agenda of things that uh, that happen in their uh, in their uh, area in, in their community in Atlanta. There and had a shooting inside the hospital uh, the other day. People got in there and there was uh, two fatalities inside the hospital there. And uh, you know. The hospitals, you know, exist to try to help people and get, help people get better and all the rest of it. It's just madness, just insanity. But for us, and I just want to conclude and say this, for us, the goal is not to uh, try to solve all of that, try to solve all those puzzles and try to sort all of that out or elect somebody who's going to get into the, uh, uh, you know, the, the arena of government and try to sort it out. That's not going to happen. God, rather, is anointing us through the open book and through the open word. He's anointing us by allowing us to see what is to come and to be able to know who we are in this life so that we can have a peace and a rest and realize that even if this world falls apart and even if Satan comes against us like a flood and even if the, even if the attack becomes personal and even if it becomes right down our street, let me tell you, there is an anchor that the people of God have in predestination and in election. There's an anchor that the people of God have that Satan cannot take away from you what God's placed in you. God cannot make you any, or sorry, the world cannot make you any less eternal than what God has made you. Satan cannot take away or steal away, uh, you know, your sonship and your daughtership in the kingdom of God. He can't take that away. And so therefore there's a peace that we have as we maneuver through this world. And we have a vision of the hope that is to come. So we are concerned about how we conduct ourselves in this world and the world to come. And this world, God used. He used it because he scooped lots of handfuls of it to create in the very beginning. But let me tell you, one day he's going to sanctify it. He's going to burn it and cleanse it all over. And he's going to come back and set foot on it again with his bride. It's going to be a thousand years of rest. And then there will be a judgment time and then new heavens and new earth after that. It'll be a glorious thing. And we've got, we've got the outline of that. Not only that, we have the down payment that we are going to be a part of that. Through the, through the new birth and through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have the down payment that we're going to be a part of that. And to me, that's a reason for us to have great hope. That's a reason for us to have great joy. Now let's stand to our feet. Let's have our musicians just slip up, if you will. <clears throat> and I think that 
everything that we everything that we long for, everything that we press towards is described when we talk about this new earth, this new heavens and new earth. Because none of us, none of us want to remain just here in this world as it is, or even uh, even in a even in a state where uh, things have have been somewhat changed. Hey, listen, God's intent is to change the whole thing back into a place where He can stand with His people, and He can enjoy fellowship with sons and daughters like He intended in the beginning. The whole thing is to bring us back to the original. And I'm thankful that God is doing that. I'm thankful that God is on his path doing that uh, in our time. We're, we're eyewitnesses of what God has, what God's accomplishing in, in, uh, in the, the, the fulfillment of his word. I think it's a wonderful time to live. Crazy time to live. It's a confusing time to live, but it's a great time to live. It surely is. And I believe that God's going to see his bride through. He watches over her. We've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. Let's sing it this evening here. We've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. And we've been made victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. Overcomers in this life, and we've been made victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. Sing it one more time now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yes, we've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life, and we've been made victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. Falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I've ever, ever done. arms I feel protected in his arms never disconnected in his arms Lord I feel protected and there's no place I'd ever rather be sing that one again now In his arms, 
I feel protected in his arms, never disconnected in his arms. I feel protected. I'm gonna make it He's already said that I would And I'll keep on trusting That He's working everything for my good Beside me, and heaven is in my view. I'm gonna make it through, Heavenly Father. We live in a house. We live in a temple in this world. And Lord is one that is a natural creation. We live in a world that you created, Lord, but Satan spoiled. And Lord, I believe that you in your own sovereign way, Lord, you're preparing us for a better place and a better kingdom. A new heavens and a new earth. One that will not fade away. It's incorruptible. And Lord, throughout all of time, and even when time ceases, it'll still be there because it'll never fade away. Lord, may we stand strong in the face of all opposition against your word and against the absolutes that you've established. May we stand strong as believers, Lord, who are unashamed of the standard, Lord, that you have raised in our time. I believe, Lord, you've raised an ensign very high, a banner, Lord, that lets us see what is true and what is right. May we be faithful, Lord. May we be strong to follow in these last few steps of the journey. Lord, you said to be light about the evening time. You said to be light that we could could see in a way that other ages never really understood. We're grateful, Lord Jesus, for that open book that has given us an understanding, Lord, of things that were hidden and obscure through the ages. But now, Lord, you've made them very clear through a prophet that has come in this last day. We thank you, Lord, for this message and what it means to us. And, Lord, how this message unveils you. It it brings you into view. And, Lord, as we see you, we see ourselves in you. And, Lord, this glorious union is something that just thrills our hearts. So, Lord, in the days ahead, when we arise in the morning, may, Lord, we place our time, everything we have, into your hands. And say, Lord, your schedule matters most. And may every choice and every decision, may it, something, may it be something, Lord, that's pleasing to you. And may we come to the end of each day and say it's been good to have lived in your presence. Father, we all are subject to mistakes and weaknesses, and we know that. 
Lord, every one of us have a reason to come and just to lay at your feet. But Father, we're just asking that in our humanity and in our weaknesses, Lord, that you would just help us right where we are. Help us, Lord, never to let go. Help us to be persevering. And help us, Lord Jesus, to keep the vision of where we're going in view all the days that we walk. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy to us. We think of those that are sick, Lord, and how the great deceiver would try to snatch people away and snatch away their joy and their health, Lord. We commit them to you. We thank, Lord, of Brother Hunter's father and how he's concerned for him, Lord. We place him into your hands. We think of Sister April's sister, Lord, and God, we, we just know that you're a healer across the miles and the distances, Lord. May you just touch our sister, Lord, and may you just give her that, that touch, Lord, that she needs. Bless Sister Andrea, Lord, we ask. Father, in the balance of our week now, we place in your care. Help us, Lord, I pray. And we will give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And amen. I'm going to make it. He's already said that I will. I'll keep on trusting that he's working everything for my good and he walks beside me heaven is in my view steps in your word, dear Lord. Sing it as you go tonight. May God bless you richly, and we'll see you on the weekend. Order my steps in your word, dear Lord. Lead me and guide me every day. Send your anointing, Father, I pray. Order my steps. Please.